Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Christ is risen, right? He is, and, and that is such the great message. That's the central message of Easter, that Christ is alive. And because he's alive, this is a message for everyone, because that's who Christ came for. He came for everyone. And so I am so thankful that you guys responded to an invitation to come here to uh, hear this message, to gather around and to worship around this message, because it is a reality. We believe it's a reality for everyone. And we were thinking about, why can't we just invite everyone to an Easter service? Why can't we look around in our lives at people we know who uh, may not be connected with a church or may not know uh, anything about God or anything about Easter and uh, try to connect with them and invite them here. So if you were invited here, thank you for saying yes to be here. And it's my hope that you would see the central message of Easter because it can easily be missed, can't it? You know, we've, we've gone around an Easter bunny delivering Easter eggs. Shouldn't it be an Easter chicken? I mean, if we're going to go with that story. We had a, a news uh, group come and interview some kids outside here last night when we had our first service. And they said, what do you like about Easter? And all the kids were talking about, what do you, you know, when you talk to a kid about Easter, what are they going to say? I like candy. I like my family. The last one was, I like the Easter bunny. (laughs) Well, you know what? We want to be sure that everyone who comes to this place hears the central message of Easter. And you know what? The Bible gives us clear direction and clear uh, articulation of exactly what the Easter story is all about. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this. He says, If you miss everything, if we're just getting together and we're missing this central message, we're getting together in vain. We're just showing up, having a social club. So he really calls us back to the central message. And it's in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 3. I'm going to outline it on the screen behind me. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried... And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of who are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep or they died. Then he appeared to James. Then also to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, I want to highlight a word that's in this passage that's repeated over and over that makes the Easter message reality for us. It's not just just a story. This is reality. And let me just highlight that word. He appeared. The body, the resurrected physical body of Jesus appeared. And therefore, the Bible details the resurrection of Jesus Christ as historical fact. To everyone who lived then, as it does now. With real and verifiable people, eyewitnesses to the event. With real observable places around real and documented events and times. Some so specific that in in ancient time, they even referred to an hour of the day. Which is almost miraculous, thinking they had no timepieces to look at. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is presented openly to everyone. 
It's not, it's not prevented, pre- presented in a, you know, off, off the road or in a forest or in a hidden place. It was out in the highways and byways of life. It was out in the open with literally hundreds of people who were eyewitnesses of the event. The Bible tells this story as a supernatural event. There's no doubt of that. But it's not a fairy tale. And it's reality, not myth. And we don't need to check our brains at the door when we come to this story. Because it's detailed as historical fact in all four of the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. And it's continued. It changed people's lives. It was news for everyone. And the result was one of his disciples named Thomas, who doubted before he saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, when Jesus appeared to him and said, Thomas, you've doubted. Touch my hands where the nails went through. Touch my side where the spear went through. And when Thomas did, he, he fell down on his knees and he worshipped Jesus. He made a massive change in his perspective and a massive change in what he believed about Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. You see that change? The resurrection of Jesus moved Jesus from just a good man, from what people viewed him as, from a prophet, from a great teacher, into being God. It was the event that everyone said, he must be God. And people have been worshiping Jesus as God ever since the resurrection. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about the resurrection and a lot about the historicity of the Bible and whether or not it's true or can be reliable. And I've studied this for most of my life. And some of the, the pushback that I get from some of my friends who don't choose to live with a faith perspective are this. They go, you know, Joe, we can't trust people back then who gave us this account. They're not as developed and they're not as intelligent as we are today. And you know what, as I think about that, it just doesn't hold itself up to scrutiny. That pushback really isn't fair. It certainly isn't kind, and it's not humble. Because the reality is, is, you know, can we understand and interpret the U.S. Constitution better than our founding fathers? Would it be fair to say that we have a better view of human rights and human dignity than a man like Abraham Lincoln who signed the Emancipation Proclamation back in the 1860s. Whole different world back then, but would we have a better view of it today? And would we say we have a more developed and significant picture of value for human rights than perhaps Dr. Martin Luther King, who did in the 1960s, stand for human rights? The answer to that is no. It's really crazy to say that we're the perfect human beings at the most informed time with the most balanced and pure way of seeing things. This is not fair. And the reality about the people back then who who were eyewitnesses to account of Jesus is although they didn't have cell phones or iPads or hard drives or even drive a car, they were every bit as skeptical as we are today. And that's why the the resurrection story, it was told to them. The resurrection reality was revealed to them as eyewitness. Eyewitnesses, so that everyone viewed and believed Jesus. And it's, it's significant that we don't project our agenda on that story. That we let it stand and that we choose whether or not we believe it. 
And that's what we want to offer to everyone today. Because at the resurrection, all of Jesus' disciples said, since he is God, everything he said he would do, he did. Everything he says he is, he is. And I want to summarize the life of Jesus for you this morning. That shows us that by following Jesus, we follow God. By turning to Jesus, we turn to God. And one of the first words that Jesus was all about, that he actually gave us the definition because he created us, is the word love. It's perhaps one of the most overused words in the human dictionary. and It makes the top 40 charts quite, quite often. But love is what motivates and moves God towards us. He is a God of love. One of the most recognized verses in the Bible is John 3.16, and it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have every everlasting life. This is a love that God has for everyone. That's why the message of Jesus is for everyone. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a message. Now, when I think about love in my life, I kind of have a, a, a typical love. And it's, it's called the 50-50 love. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the 50-50 model says this. If you love me, I'll love you. If you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. And it's that whole picture of of waiting for another person to love. Now, if you've been married or you are married, married, you'll realize that this kind of love doesn't hold up. It doesn't work. It doesn't. Because as long as I'm waiting for you to love me first, I'm going to hold back on my love. And I have kind of a specific belief as how I ought to be loved. And, and I'm not going to communicate that to you because I think you need to figure that one out, right? And it makes things very, very difficult. I'm seeing some of you nudge each other who are married right now. You know what I'm talking about. Because it's that picture, what that leads to, the 50-50 love, where I hold out for your love, it, it bases everything on performance, how you love me. And the result is shame and guilt, you're not loving me the way I want to. You're not sensitive to me. You're not, you're not considerate towards You're not kind to me. And we hold out and we pull back our love until someone, else's, someone, else, someone else loves us. Well, that's not how God loves you. And that's not how God loves me. In Romans 5.8, Paul says this. God demonstrates or shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed us his love, not on the 50-50 perspective, but in a selfless, sacrificial, undeserved love. The Bible has a word for this, one syllable. It's called grace. God loves us, not because we deserve it. And this sets my life free. It really does, because it means this. Folks, you don't have to go to church to be loved by God. You don't have to give in an offering to be loved by God. Matter of fact, You don't have to even measure up to being a kind person or a good person. God loves you. He loves you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of who he is. 
And it's because God is a loving God that he sent Jesus to this world. And therefore, this love defines us. It defines my life, and it can define your life. In 1 John 4, 19, John writes, We love because he first loved us. We need this love. We need a love that teaches me so much more than my 50-50 model. We need God's 100% love in our lives. Everyone is loved. Secondly, it's another word. Even though we have a desire to be loved and to love, we live in a world of evil. Now, I grew up in the church, and sometimes this word had, you know, evil, you know, that had that kind of sound to it. But you know what? It doesn't take, it doesn't take much to just look around you in the world today and see that things are broken, that things are unfair, that people are being exploited that there's injustice. And it raises a ton of questions, especially when we realize that there's a God of love. How do we handle evil? How do we handle the problem of pain and suffering in our world? And then we look at other people around us and we see crime and we see greed and we see selfishness and we see cruelty. And then if we're honest, I mean, if we're really honest and we look in the mirror, we see evil within us. Something within me when, when I know what I ought to be doing, I do something else. When I know what I should do, I don't do anything at all. And that's that evil within me that, that the Bible explains as this in Romans 3.10. Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Why? Because everyone is affected by evil. Jesus said in John 8:34 he said, "I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin is that independence from God. Sin moves us to make choices away from God into ourselves. And therefore, evil and love battle. They battle for our lives. The the sacrificial love of grace that God gives us is constantly being challenged by the evil in this world." And the reality is, is we long for such a better life. We long for that perfect world that God once created. And, and, and we compare it with the world we currently live in. Romans 8.23 says that not only creation groans for a time when God will set it all right, but, but we groan. We who have the first fruit of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, and the scriptures say, for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Folks, that desire in us for perfection is God-given. That desire in us to be restored back to where things are whole, where life is at peace again, where we can love and where we can experience the love of God. That is brought into us, that desire, because God has fashioned us for himself. God has created us in his image to long for perfection. But as long as we live in an evil world, we're going to be deeply and profoundly affected by evil. You know, we can run away from the evil in this world and kind of lock ourselves in our homes. We can criticize the evil in other people. Boy, we're really good at that, aren't you? You know, it's called being judgmental, where we can kind of see the wrong with other people and just say, I'm not going to be your friend. I'm going to walk away. But the reality is, the scriptures say we can't shake evil from us. It's something we're incapable of doing, and, and we're accountable to God for it. Romans 2, 6 says... That God will judge everyone according to what they have done. We're accountable. 
God will judge everyone according to what they have done. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? You know, I've tried, uh, even, even, even in the church, I've tried to be good. I've tried to be good to get away from the evil. And I realize sometimes, the harder I try to be good, the more I realize how selfish I am and how evil I am. The more I try to love my wife, the more I realize, hey, I really want her to love me. And so we have this issue. We can't, we can't deal with this on our own. Some of us can just cast off this whole message and say, I don't like that word evil. I don't. And we'd like to live in denial. And, and we can do that. And we can walk away from a message like this. But it still doesn't address the issue of evil in our lives. And as I look at it in my life, I want relief. I want rescue from evil, right? I think you do too. We want to, be, we want to have a, a better picture than the one we live in. And so that's why Jesus had to come. And it's our third word that I just want to detail. It's the word I'm putting right in front of the cross. It's the word of rescue. It's the rescue. Because it was at that time that Jesus came into our world in that historical moment when he was born in Bethlehem and when he lived a perfect life to live a life that we are incapable of living. We can't live perfectly. But Jesus did. And he became our rescuer. It says in John 3, 17, just right after John 3, 16, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus had to come. His promise was, as detailed in John eleven twenty five. 25, he said, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And, here's this word, everyone, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked this great question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And he said this right before he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Jesus came and entered our world and rescued us because we could not save ourselves. Folks, if you could live up to a level of morality, of goodness, where God could, could look at your life and go, okay, okay, Joe Hishma, man, he's a pastor. He's a pretty good guy most of the times. So we won't really, we'll just kind of, he's okay. If I can love, me- measure up to that level of performance, Jesus would never had to come and be my rescue. You know, it sounds so good on the surface to just be a good person and it will all work out. But how good do you have to be to get back to God? You know, it's easy. Religions have been doing this for a long time. They've been comparing themselves with other people. And that's kind of a human nature kind of thing. Where you look at your life and you compare it with someone else and you go, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than he is. I'm not great, but I mean... She's really bad. No one likes her. As long as I'm better than her, God will love me. And the reality is, is God, everyone, listen here. God does not compare you with anyone except Jesus. You're going, oh, Joe, come on, man. You ruined my Easter. I'm compared with Jesus. None of us measure up to his perfection. None of us are as perfect as he, exactly, Exactly. 
That's why none of us deserve this. That's why none of us are any better than anyone else. The message of Easter is that no one's better than anyone else. We're just loved by God. And this Jesus entered our world. And for some reason, he gave his life for us. And he rose again on the third day so that everyone who believes in him could have eternal life. Matter of fact, Paul outlines this in Colossians chapter 1. Everyone's offered this rescue, and it's, it details this rescue. It says that he, being Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Folks, this is good news, that only through Christ are we forgiven. In God's undeserved love expressed and exercised for us, in the work of Christ. Now, people who've been rescued all share the same, the same story. They've been, they, it usually has some details, and I, I love reality television sometimes, like the Weather Channel, when they go onto these things and they show the Coast Guard coming and plucking a guy off of a, a capsized boat that he's in this cold water. Some of you, I mean, it's like we don't have enough problems. We've got to look at these kind of problems in our world. But I look at those things, and I, they all share kind of the same theme. Something's happened in their surroundings, in their environment, that put them in way over their head. And they can't save themselves. And it, it looks really, really dire. And but for that rescue worker who enters into their environment and puts their life at risk and plucks them out of danger and into safety, it changes their lives. You have, you have lives you go, wow, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had, until I saw that hand reaching for me, I had, I had no hope. That is the rescue of Jesus. Our rescue hero is Jesus, who saw us in this world of evil, who took compassion on us. He didn't say measure up, go to church, clean your life up. He said, no, I have compassion on you. I will continue to love you and I will die for you. He put himself literally in our place because on the cross, he died for me and for you. And in the grave, he rose for me and for you. So that all we have to do for this rescue is to call out for him. No one who's been rescued would go, yeah, I was there. And I just kind of managed a way out. Just kind of thought nice things. Got out of danger. No, they, they all go, yeah, I didn't do this. That, that rescuer, they did this. I'm eternally grateful. That's what Jesus does for you. So that everyone, Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The call to help, the call for rescue is heard. But it leads to our fourth word. And that's the word of choice. Because we've all come here once we've realized the love of God and a world of evil and a heart of rescue in the person and the work of Jesus. We have a choice. God gives us a choice. He doesn't pull us to himself kicking and screaming. 
And if you don't want God, God will give you more of life without him. But if you do want him, he gives you himself. He, he gives all of us that decision. In John 1, verses 12, 11 and 12, it's, it's told of Jesus that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to everyone who has received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Everyone who receives him. We love the right to choose, don't we? The right to choose seems to empower us. And we live in a country that has so many choices. So many choices. I mean, just getting dressed this morning, you opened up a closet and you had multiple. Some of you had hundreds of decisions to make. You even spent time doing that tonight. And you look very nice, might I say. But the reality is, we're empowered by choices. We like that. So how do you make a choice? How do you know that you're making a good choice in your lives? Because I've been sincere, and I've even thought I've had the right intentions, but I've been sincerely wrong. We can do that. We need the truth in our lives. We need the reality of a greater message. And God has brought us here today around the person of Jesus. That's what this is all about. And in John 20, 31, John writes this. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. That's the picture. We're here. We're here to gather around this decision. Sooner or later, we will need to know the truth about things and decide from the perspective of fact, not feeling. And as the resurrection was told as fact, and as we are brought into this historical event, we too will say, this is true. Or we'll say, it's not for me. God will give you that choice. And what it comes down to is, when you think about a world of evil and how a life is saved from a world of evil, how does rescue happen? And we can look in ourselves and say, I can do it. I can be good enough. Or can we can look to Christ and say, only Christ can do for me what I can't do for myself. We've come around this time around a defining moment. I've had key defining moments in my life. I've had that moment where I've asked my wife, her name was Cheryl Smith at the time. Cheryl, I love you. Would you marry me? And thankfully she said, yes. And then there's a defining moment when each of our three boys were born and the doctor gave this little baby who I, I heard about and I saw through ultrasound in the, in the womb and, and then he handed it, each one of those little boys to me and I cut their umbilical cords and they started being individuals in our lives. And we, those were defining moments. I remember all those crystal clear I believe Easter 2012 is a defining moment for many here. Where you didn't, you know, you, you came in thinking, ah, it's religion. Ah, it's a church. And we don't trust organized religions a whole lot. But folks, this is far beyond a church. This is a message that we want for everyone. And it's a message that God loves you. You don't have to perform for it. He's a God of grace. You are deeply and profoundly affected by evil, and you need rescue. Jesus is the only one who can save you. 
you need to choose to trust the work of Christ. It's simple. It's simple, but it's extremely profound in my life because it means from the positive to the negative, I don't have to be good enough. That's a load of pressure off my back. That's a burden none of us need to carry anymore. It's all been done through Christ. I want to encourage you right now, if this message makes sense, and it's some of you, some of you, this is the first time it makes sense. Let me just invite you in the quietness of your chair just to express your faith to God. God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming into my world of evil. Thank you for the rescue that's provided by Jesus. I trust you. I don't know everything there is to know about you, but I know the the clear message of the gospel this morning. I know that you love me and that you gave yourself for me and that you've covered everything. I believe in you. Help me, help me live in a way that just reflects you and loves you like you love me. The Bible says that's a key defining moment that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, if that's your heart, let me just welcome you into the family of God. It's not a perfect family. We have some dysfunctions, but we are following someone who is perfect, and that's Jesus, because that's who we're compared with. When we compare ourselves with each other, we get into problems. That's why churches are far from perfect, but we're following someone who is. Welcome to the family, if that's who you are, and if you've made that decision today. Some of you have been away from a church for a while. You've been kind of distant, and you've kind of just doing life on your own. Welcome back. Welcome back to a community of believers who can encourage you to keep following Christ and to follow him in your lives so that this message would be year-round. It wouldn't be one day. It would be a lifestyle for you because this is a message for everyone. Oh, yeah, there's one more word there, right? And that's the word restored. Because that's the picture of Easter. It was shown to us in the person of Jesus Christ that one who died rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And it was to show us what he was about, who he was, and what the work that he wanted to do in our lives. And it's the whole picture in John 640 about Jesus, when Jesus said this, it says, it's my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. His disciples didn't even know what He meant when He originally said this. But after He resurrected, they went, yeah, remember when He said that? Remember He said He would raise us up with Him. And we get that. We get that because of the resurrection. Luke explains and quotes Jesus in Luke chapter 11, verse 10. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Why? Because it's someone doing the work for you. You don't have to seek any longer. The Easter message is this. Jesus has found you and you have found him. You don't need to knock any longer. The door has been opened to you because the door of death was smashed through on Easter morning. The door to life is given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. 
One of the things I love about, um, about Jesus is his restoring work in my own life. I am a work in process. We all are. We all have gaps in our lives of, of things that Jesus is working on and that we want to grow in and become more like him with. And one of the things that really helps me is to look at even our community and look at what's happening in our community and some of the restoration work in our community. It just encourages me that as I see that in the physical, that can happen in the spiritual in my life. And there's a woman here in town named Elizabeth Taylor. Great name. I never forget it. But she's not from Hollywood. She has a heart. She has a heart for restoration. And she's gone through the, the streets of of Topeka, and she's looked at some broken down neighbors, and she came across several years ago this place called the Woodward Mansion, and it was, it was broken down and in disrepair, but she had a heart for restoration, and she came alongside, and she invested time, and she invested resources and money to restore that place, and she's made it into a bread and, bed and breakfast, and she's even looked at other broken down homes, of this kind of crime-ridden environment that she lives in. And she bought those homes. And it would have been easier to just tear down those homes and start over. But she wanted to tell a story in that neighborhood. Because she gets it. When you restore something, you tell a larger story. You know, Jesus could have given up on us a long time ago. He could have gone, okay, new world, time for me to reboot here. But he wanted to tell his story of restoration in each one of our lives. You are not done. God is not done with anyone in this room. As long as you will have breath, he wants to work in each of our lives. And because of that, he wants to restore you. You know, one of the last chapters of the last book in the Bible, the the king who sits on the throne, God, says this. And he says it as he looks at a future restoration where he will make all things new. He says this in Revelation 21.5. He says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything. That's the message. That's the message of Jesus. We were created for this. God restores us to himself. He restores us. To others. He even restores us to ourselves where we're no longer denying the truth. We have the diagnosis and we found the cure. Folks, you and I were created to be restored. Broken, but re- created to be restored. Look around you. There is no one here who is perfect. None of us are any better in ourselves than others. Everyone here is loved by God, everyone here is affected by evil. Everyone here can be rescued. Everyone here is offered a choice and will make a choice. And everyone here can be restored. Because God entered our neighborhood. And he took compassion on us. And through Christ, he wanted to restore it. And God saw the broken homes of our lives. And he said, let me bring back the story. Let me restore. Even from the beginning... And he then starts that story in our lives. And that's what we are. We're stories of lives that Jesus is at work in. Because God is making everything new through Christ in our lives. I want to invite you today 
Don't leave from this place without making that decision to allow the work of God in your life. I want to just point your attention to a little flap in your bulletin. It says, if, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ today, just mark that down. And, and as the offering is passed in a, in a little bit, I want you to just put that in there so we can pray for you. One of the, the things that we want to be, we want to be a church of prayer that's trusting people with God. If you have, if you've known Christ walking in here, but you've got a prayer request, we want to pray for you also so that we can, we can just applaud the restoring work of God in your lives. Here, let me just summarize. Believe and receive God's love. So that your life is really from Christ. Overcome evil with good through Christ. Trust in the rescue from sin in Christ. Choose today that defining moment so that you are with Christ rather than alone. And allow his resurrection, restorative power in your lives. This is a message for everyone. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for bringing each person to this place. Each person to a, dis, a defining moment. Where as we hear this story and we understand who you are because of it. And that it's given to everyone. Not just a select through, but to everyone. So that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray for each person here that Easter would not just be a celebration. It would be a movement of life-giving power through the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us who entered our neighborhood, who rescued us out of evil, restored us to our Father. For it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.